Dance, baby, dance like the world is ending. Dance, baby, dance like the world is ending. Dance, baby, dance because the world is ending. Dance, baby, dance like the world is ending. Dance, baby, dance like the world is ending. Dance, baby, dance because the world is ending. Dance, baby, dance like the world is ending. Dance, baby, dance like the world is ending. Dance, baby, dance because the world is ending. Cogs. I'm Trevor, and uh, we are we are here um, to talk about what matters to people most. So, Sai, I know there's been a lot of economic turmoil with the uh, inflation, the the Great Recession. Uh, you know, we've obviously had some mass shootings, so it's been a pretty tumultuous time in this country. Which is why I think we and and Congress, for that matter, are going to really dive into I think what matters most to people, which is uh, January sixth. Let's get to the bottom of it. <laughs> I was waiting for the buildup. I was like, where is this going to go? <laughs> what, what could he possibly hit me with? Yeah, I think that's... Uh, <laughs> I actually have been seeing like posts, and I think they let, use like J6 now as like a... J6. And I, oh, yeah. and I just had... It's I, like 9-11. I didn't even know what it was. Like I was just like, what is J6? Like, you know, I'm just so out of the... It's like Web3. You know, J6. It's like, stop trying to make J6 a thing. <laughs> I don't know. I Like, there's a part of me that is totally horrified by it. But then there's a part of, like, the media industrial complex around the January thing that is just so transparently idiotic and silly and, like, self-serving and just, like, juvenile that I just can't even be bothered. Like, I just can't, I can't possibly take them seriously. And, um, despite the fact that I think those, I, I, I feel like there's probably something there to be concerned about. Um, but it's just like, all the narrative around it, all the, it's just, it's hilarious. And the, the, and of course the funniest aspect that Congress in the time of global crisis is going to go try to like relitigate this and like create a show trial to like what generate clicks generate views as if this is what's going to help you stave off devastation in the midterms <laughs> well they they really have their finger on the pulse of the american public <laughs> yeah. so yeah at, per usual like, yeah you know like, yeah uh yeah no exactly exactly that is no, we're, so we're not going to talk about January 6th, yeah. although we, we, we should because it's a deeply important issue to everyone. Um, we're going to talk about deep sci-fi, uh, just as relevant to uh, the plight of the American people right now. Um, so hopefully get into the, the three-body problem uh, series, which I read, recommended to Cy, um, and I think Cy just crushed it in how long? Uh Probably a total of two weeks across the three books. Two weeks, hell yeah, three books in two weeks. And they're big books, but man, it, they were, they were great, fun, fun, compelling, engrossing. Totally, 
Yeah. I, I forgot to ask, since you, you just read these and you have this cosmic perspective, what would you describe your current sort of political leanings right now? Oh, that's good. Damn. <laughs> cosmic perspective. Yeah. I think um, they, I just was reading back through the book. Let me try to think here. There's the like anti-humanity and they go by. Uh, yeah. In, in the book, they label them like nega, N-E-G-A, like nega civilization. And I think that's the ism that I'm on. <laughs> Anti-civilization. No, no, because they, it's it's a weird, we'll get to this. I'm, I'm skipping ahead. But this branch of human civilization, uh, you know, chooses, is able to, uh, orient themselves around ends other than um, sort of like transcendental values and uh, I think that is an interesting and deeply uh, has the ability potentially to change the face of history today so I'm on that ism hopefully we can so would you say you're like a, a transcendental nihilist <laughs> transcendental nihilist no, the whole point is is civilization as an end in and of itself. <laughs> That's the point of crickets. That, <laughs> crickets. So the point of uh, uh, you, you are fighting for just continuing continuation of civilization. Okay, well, well let's 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 when the, when we get to this point in the conversation, I'm gonna I'm gonna I know I'm already I'm there. gonna highlight <laughs> I'm gonna highlight. Let's back up and lay out plot synopsis what do you want to do you want to do a plot synopsis yeah yeah jump into that because it's yeah it's an awesome series it's written by a chinese author um we're we're gonna struggle with chinese names the entire time and i read the books like a year ago so i remember no one's names so i'm just gonna be describing characters of like that guy who did and the the woman who was like there but and you also have um, you also have to do a actual legitimate apology because you have spent time in China, whereas I actually have the excuse of being just uh, completely ignorant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah, I spent two months in China, so I'm I'm definitely fluent in like Chinese names. Um, well, it definitely makes you a yeah, suspect the, for the, Chinese apolog- apologetics, but. No, I am. I think I, I'm a deep Chinese apologist for sure. I was telling Anya, I think it is. And they actually mentioned that before we left on our trip because it was like a big research program with like lots of grad students yeah. going over there yeah. and like they take Chinese students over here. And they were saying like it's it's really important that for any sort of civilizational ties, particularly between like East and West, like diff- very different countries, you're never going to achieve any type of, um, you know, stable understanding empathy peace between china and the u.s unless that exists between real people in those countries yeah and so just like with the peace corps just like sending just me going over there is like incredibly not not personally you know i'm not to my own horn but just like the idea of like ordinary people like me going over to china spending time with chinese people in chinese universities taught meeting chinese friends who and just seeing a whole way of life that's very different than the U.S., I come back and for sure I am like way more pro-China than I think most Americans. And then similarly, I think a lot of Chinese people who come spend a few months in the U.S. come back to China and are able to like 
um, articulate yeah. a more nuanced view of Americans and American culture and American values to their Chinese communities. Yeah, and it's, that type of stuff I think super important. Yeah, like yeah, you know, just like create um, tangible understandings of the of a people rather than like sort of uh, propagandized versions. <laughs> yeah. But so let's get into the book. Right. This is a good right. like example of like Chinese culture that was or series. It's a series of books. The after it's, it's After Earth series. Is that the name of the series? Um, I can't even remember. Let's see here. The series itself. I think it's called After Earth. But a lot of people just refer to it as the Three Body Problem because yeah. that's the name of the first. The book, first book is the Three the Body Problem. One that hooks you. The second one is, oh, Remembrance of Earth's Past is the series name. Remembrance of Earth's Past, great. So it's, yeah. So, yeah, why don't you, since you just read the books more recently, why don't you give us, like, a a synopsis, like, high level of, like, three-body problem, dark forest, and then whatever, what's the last one, Death Zen? Death Zen, yeah. And um, so basic premise is that, again, set in China, um, primarily Chinese characters, um, sometime during the Cultural Revolution... The Chinese government it has this uh, deep, deeply secret, you know, uh, radio dish base, the Red Coast Project, and a scientist there who is um, has an interesting backstory. Her parents were killed in the Cultural Revolution, and so she's now working at like a work camp. And then, but she's a scientist, so they take her out of cutting down trees in the forest to go work at the station and tell her it's for some, like blasting satellites, but it's actually for searching for aliens she figures out a way to like broadcast radio signals on a whole on a a much larger scale by blasting them into the sun blah 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 she ends up making contact with an alien civilization um and that alien civilization responds to her um and that happens all during like the cultural revolution so back 50 60 years and then we zoom ahead to the you know, more or less contemporary contemporary era, yeah, maybe slightly slightly ahead, but more or less now. Um, and in this phase of the book, this is still within the three body problem. Uh, the alien civilization on the other side of that radio broadcast has sent a fleet, an invasion fleet, to Earth. But space time being what space time is, it's going to take four hundred and fifty years for that. Uh, for that invasion fleet to get here so and I think like in the beginning right when she sends the message doesn't she get a message back immediately so she beams a radio signal at the sun because that amplifies it and then that they pick it up and doesn't someone from that planet like a pacifist write her back like please don't ever contact us again because it will be bad yeah and then she's like yeah I'm gonna do it and just like talks with them anyway and then the government of that planet or whatever is like, oh, cool, there's a planet there. We're going to send some ships. Yeah, we're sending an invasion fleet, and <clears throat> and we're going to go decimate these these uh, these bugs. And um, so then in the present era, there's this sort of uh, underground, like, partisan movement, sort of like a semi, semi-terroristic, but not really, more just like sort of like this underground insurgency that's like basically pledged themselves to the alien people to the alien civilization and they're working on earth to foment and prepare earth uh for 
the success for a successful invasion by these by these by this alien civilization and so the the plot of that book is sort of this character slowly unraveling this mystery because this is all happening kind of behind the scenes and is unknown and so the character is like sort of unraveling this and starting uncovering the truth about this alien civilization and the fact that it's coming and that there's this secretive body that's uh trying to like uh, uh basically like forestall the advancement of civilization like physics and other sorts of technologies that w might help humans defeat the invasion so they're like they're sort of like acting as like an anti-science insurgency and um on behalf of these aliens if you're asking yourself like <clears throat> why would why would humans be down with an alien invasion why would they like it's a lot of it has to do with a lot of the people in this partisan group are scientists and engineers and some of them, i think politicians and stuff too but they're really like um heavily concerned with like humanity and uh how humans treat the earth essentially and there's a lot of like you know kind of we'll get into it maybe but they uh <clears throat> It's a lot of references to climate change and like the ecological destruction of the planet. The book starts by I think the she the scientist she like reads Silent Spring in like the '60s or whatever, and is really impacted by how like the Chinese government is like destroying the Inner Mongolian ecosystem. And so there's this kind of thought of like, eh, you know, we don't really deserve this planet, and I think this other species is much more advanced and cool, and you know, maybe would be better stewards to the earth uh than we are and there's some communication so the aliens continue as they're flying 450 years towards earth they're communicating with this group or with like one person in this group i think right but they're to, and trying to like coordinate some of that yeah yep exactly and i mean i think that alone is a, a, a fascinating i mean it's like it's funny because like this book this book has this like kind of constant flashback to this like cultural revolution era and sort of the 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 and then and then back into the present era and you kind of, the present era is kind of reaping the consequences of the decisions these few people made at this secretive base way back when um so you're kind of you know maybe bouncing across 60 70 80 years um and uh and it's like this like kind of fairly like localized battle between people on earth within this certain era and uh and then the next books just like get consecutively more and more expansive and like just even larger time scales and kind of civil yeah, civilized yeah. and so like civilizational in the, in the scale. first book it in the first book it kind of wraps up with like the guy unravels the mystery like they, they understand and, yeah and like they, why they basically decapitate these this this insurgency they like um, they get access to the, the data that this insurgency has, all the, all the transcripts, and they they learn all, all the information that um, that this this alien race or this alien species has uh, been giving the ETO, the Earth Trisolaris Organization. Uh, Trisolaris is the name of the alien species or the Trisolarians. And so the etymology of that name is Trisolaris, three sons, um, which informs yeah, and that's the informs the origin three, of the three body problem. Because there, and so the whole the whole thing that is motivating these aliens to come here is that their planet is 
they, they live on a planet that is in a star system with three suns. And so maybe, Trevor, maybe you can explain what yeah. the three, because that, that is, and that's where the name, the three body problem comes from. Yeah, I'll talk about that bri- briefly, and then we can go up to the other books. But the, like, so essentially like the, these aliens, yeah, they live in a star system with three stars. And so instead of their planet orbiting one with like a nice stable orbit with like winter and summer and fall, you know, depending on where you're in spring, wherever you live, they have three suns. And so their orbit is wildly unpredictable. And so sometimes they've got two suns in the sky and one is really far away. Sometimes they're all three of them, all three of the stars are really far away from the planet and it's super cold. And the problem is they can't, it's really difficult to develop as a civilization under these conditions because it's completely unpredictable. There's no regularity to when summer is going to come or when you're going to have two stars in the sky versus three versus one. And when there are two stars very close to the planet, it burns everything on the planet to ash. And uh, when there are, are, when all the stars are really far away, it's a absolute uh, inhospitable, like Armageddon style winter. And then sometimes you have a really nice and stable climate and it's completely unpredictable. And it's unpredictable because of the three body problem, which is like, I'll just note that this guy who the author has, I think like a PhD in physics might be a bachelor's, but he's, he's like a deep physicist. And the three body problem is like one of my favorite physics problems. Um, and so I learned about it in chemistry, but essentially like if you have two particles, you can think of like the earth and the moon, for instance, and there's nothing else in the universe, just these two things, you can predict perfectly how they relate to each other. So if you know the way the earth is spinning and moving and you know how gravity works, you can predict forever and eternally uh, where the moon and the earth will be in relation to each other at any point in the future and at any point in the past. You can solve that system perfectly. If you introduce a third body, like a sun, for instance, um, and a moon and an earth, you can, the moon pulls on the sun, which moves the sun. The sun pulls on the earth, which moves the earth. The earth pulls on the moon, which moves the moon. And it's this iterative thing. The way that the three bodies relate to each other is infinitely complex because anytime one thing moves, it, it moves the others, which causes a chain reaction, essentially. So it's completely unsolvable. Now we can approximate it for things like our solar system, for instance, and that's, right? And that's where we've got many because, planets. Because that's perhaps yeah. because the scales are so large that the errors are exactly trivial. Yeah, like the sun is really, really big. The moon is really small relative to the sun. And so it's pretty much a stable orbit. So we pretty much know exactly, you know, the earth is gonna move around the sun every 365 days. It's actually not exactly that. Um, but any deviation, we can essentially treat the Earth and the Sun as a two-body problem mm-hmm. and ignore the Moon yeah. and ignore Mercury. But in reality, it's more complex. Now, this alien species cannot does not have that luxury because they have three big suns that are all whipping around each other and pulling on each other in random ways. And so the orbits of these three suns around each other is chaotic and unpredictable. And this is an actual true truth in physics. You cannot solve a problem with three bodies so this and you can't like is one of my and, favorite and you can't conceptual. even you can't even crank through it like you put a uh, quantum computer on it and it just won't be able to solve it or whatever some yeah super- there's no there's no solution there's no solution it's a, yeah i mean 
yeah, we, you can't, you can approximate it really well under certain things, but like you can't, you can't solve it. And so that's the whole reason. So zooming back to the book, this species has to live under these conditions and they're evolved to essentially dehydrate themselves whenever things get really awful on the planet. And so they dehydrate and become like flat pieces of paper when it's really hot or really cold. And then when it's a stable climate, they are rehydrated by their friends um, who hide in like these massive bunkers. And so anyway, the whole civilization has to develop under these extreme conditions. And so they get a signal from Earth. They actually have super advanced technology, but they don't know what to do about, they wanna solve and predict when the suns are going to do what the suns are going to do because if they can predict the pattern then they can develop uh, a more stable relationship on their planet but they ultimately can't solve it they get this message from earth and they're like oh look a single planet moving around a single star that sounds awesome and there's this other species here let's go invade the humans who learn about it decide yeah we want to help this poor species that's struggling on their own planet um, and eventually the world's governments shut down this terrorist organization and the aliens send like a last message that's like you're all bugs and we're going to kill you essentially in 400 years you have some time but the last piece from the book that i think is really important before we jump to the second one you outline the second one they have these like quantum particles that they can send that move faster than light um called sophons which are a made-up thing but they're these like 11 dimensional particles that they can control and they respond so they can essentially send information to their fleet and to their home planet with these particles and these particles can't really like physically hurt anyone on earth but they can mess up instruments and they can like make little messages on your screen and stuff and that's how they were communicating with people because it's 400 you know whatever light years away or whatever 200 light years away or something so it takes them a long time to get here but they have these particles that they can control that are on the earth and that's important because they use these particles essentially to disrupt science, to prevent Earth from developing. They look at the history of science, right? Like 200 years ago, we were all pushing plows with like cattle, right? Um, and now we've got iPhones and satellites, right? They don't want to give us another 400 years of development, yeah. of R&D, of science. And so they want to disrupt our science so that by the time they get here in 400 years, they'll wipe us out. And so that's kind of where the the second the first book ends and the second book begins. Yeah. And so what's fascinating about that is that they can like they have like infinite like observational power over their earth. So in the second book, the United the, the like kind of the world organization, the UN, is basically getting organized to figure out what Earth should do in order to prepare to defeat this uh this oncoming alien invasion that's like 450 years out but inevitable so like they're starting to plan for it now um and the the dilemma is one there's no way to advance fundamental physics and two literally all the plans any sort of uh communications any sort of um any sort of like physical actions taken by humanity are going to be able to be observed by these aliens and so there's no ability to like institute surprise or uh like kind of deception um however there's one thing that those sophons cannot observe and that's thoughts internal to someone's mind and so what's one interesting distinction between these two species is that humans uh speech and thought function is separate which means we have the ability to think one thing and say the other 
And so we've developed this elaborate tradition of, you know, deception and stratagem and surprise. And we just, it's like deeply embedded in all of our civilizations. The Trisolarians, their thought and communication function is uh, combined. And and so there's no, it's like almost like telepathic communication. And so there's like no there is no filtering of thought to speech and so their culture has no tradition of deception of this sort of strategy making it's purely uh information it's is thought and transmitted instantaneously among each other so humans one advantage here yeah they got a block on fundamental physics everything and everything anything we do can be observed but our minds are hidden and uh, we have this elaborate history of deception at our disposal. And so the UN basically, which is hilarious, like I, I, I love this sort of, a, uh, I don't know, just, just a phenomenal um, sort of like creative universe that the author creates here. Um, the, wall, the Wall Facer Project in which four individuals are given basically unlimited resources to purely within their own mind not sh- not shared with anybody to enact a stratagem to defeat uh def- defeat the alien invasion and um and so they will have a vision of how they're going to defeat the alien invasion and they'll they'll be able to deploy resources to various places they're going to work on this project this project this project but nobody know what the full plan will be it'll be totally in- internal to their their minds um so four people unlimited money unlimited resources, resources they, do the, whatever they want but they don't have to say why they're doing anything yep. they have the decision to do and so they can do whatever they want on the flip side so there's these four people the main character of the second the second book the second book is called the dark forest is this um sort of like apathetic lowly professor of physics you know not Sociology. Or sociology. Sociology, actually. Yeah, so even worse. <laughs> and <laughs> just, like, not even a hero, like, anti-hero. Totally just, like, a bum, um, not particularly brilliant in any particular way. Uh, but casually, by accident, at some point early, early on in his life, wasn't walking along the road and ran into the woman from the first book who way back when sent the radio message. Uh, to to Earth, uh, I mean, sorry, to the aliens, um, and be right before she died, she ran into this character, this antihero of the second book, and sort of gave him a few keys to think about what she calls cosmic sociology, um, and so basically, humanity doesn't know why. But the tri, but they do know that the trisolarian civilization is terrified of this guy, and this guy. But they don't know why. They don't, and he doesn't. Know and why. he doesn't know why either, because he does this. This conversation he had decades ago is like has been basically lost to him. He's just this idiot, apathetic professor, um, with like a made-up imaginary girlfriend basically in his head, and but meanwhile. The Trisolarians are trying to send people to assassinate them. The Earth's people are like, wait, this guy's important. We're going to make him a wall facer because clearly he's powerful. And he has no clue. 
And so this the story of this book is him uh, acting as a within his capacity as Wallfacer, slowly uncovering what he knows that is so powerful as it relates to the Earth versus Trisolaris conflict. Um, and so I guess like I th- you know we can skip all the details of this, but I want to get because I want to get to exactly to the dark forest concept. Um, so yeah, the, the well, first right, right quick before that, there's like three other wall facers. One of them's like a uh, you know president of Venezuela, like some guerrilla fighter. One of them's like some big geneticist. One of them's like some other U.S. general or something. Yeah, like typical. And they all come up with like various typical plans. Yeah. Yeah, and you know they all have actually yeah. pretty clever plans. You know, you have to say they they end up having like pretty clever plans, but that the Trisolarians figure them out because they have some of the Earth people that want that are helping them. Called and they find these Earth people who are super smart called wall breakers, and those wall breakers watch everything this the, the wall facers do, and they learn everything about them. They learn they watch everything they do, and they just get so totally synced up with them that they unravel the plot that these wall wall facers have constructed in their heads. And one by one, each of these other mm-hmm. wall facers plans uh, get revealed by the wall breakers. Um, but the apathetic main character, anti-hero type character, um, actually doesn't even do any plans. He just is like, oh, you're giving me unlimited power. I'm going to go build a mansion. I'm going to go. He's like, okay, give me a crazy mansion up on a mountain overlooking like a beautiful scene. And also go get me like the perfect woman <laughs> and bring her here. Yeah. And I'm going to have like fantasy life. And that's what he does with his resources. And um and the, the dilemma for the UN people is like nobody can ever know if this is part of the plan or not so they just like keep saying yes because um, <laughs> he's like it's part of the plan <laughs> um, and so he's just like drunk in this beautiful villa for most of the yeah, book thinking about like trying to enjoy life trying to enjoy life kind of cool and like but. kind of just like this is stupid this whole all of this is sort of like this like apathetic nihilism and um and Whatever for one reason or other he he starts oh the, the the UN finally takes his wife away and the and the, their kid he falls in love with the woman that they bring him and blah 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 they take her them away to make him actually focus on the problem because all the other wall facers have failed and so then he uncovers look thinking through his head he basically uncovers the dark forest um, phenomena which is. Uh, I'll, how do you want to do this, Trevor? Do you want me to just lay out these axioms that he... he yeah, so he thinks through what that woman back in like the 70s or 80s or 90s, whenever he met her, told him. And he arrives at his view of cosmic sociology, and it gives him an understanding of how to beat the Trisolarans. And so I guess... Um, and that's kind of revealed at the end of the book. Um, as like they're about to invade, all the other plans are kind of fallen apart he reveals the secret to like beating them um but i think it's actually isn't there don't they actually show up like beforehand Doesn't i mean this, these, books have, like, are, these books have so much in them that it's it's hilarious i mean this book has this yeah whole, so i guess there's like the great the, the great ravine all of that aspect he goes to sleep. oh my god yeah he goes to sleep for like a hundred years and wakes they have the humanity has figured out how to do like hibernation technology so he goes to sleep for a hundred years and comes back on the other side of like this massive meltdown in humanity and um 
since then humanity's built all these spaceships that are like super powerful and blah 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 not with breakthroughs in f- fundamental physics within the like using like fully developing the technology within the fundamental physics that we already understood so like using fusion and stuff like that um and so they have this massive space fleet and they think and by the time he wakes up in 100 years all of humanity's forgotten about the wall facer project they think it's a joke they're like haha those idiots why would they ever think that would work? we got these awesome spaceships like sure. we actually don't need to be worried yeah, at all when they, they sent over like trisolaris has like 10 we've got like 100 we've got or no we've got thousands we've got 2000 awesome weapons we've got 2000 yeah, all these thousands. massive lasers and shit we're gonna like absolutely wreck the tri- trisolarians when they show up of course um yeah and so there's like this like hyper arrogance to the people of 100 years later when the, our main character wakes back up and uh but anyways let's and let's, i think it's important they the trisolarians send like a probe out ahead of their invasion fleet it's a small little probe and so the ships that's like ahead of schedule and so that gets to like the solar system and earth sends all its spaceships out there to like and they're like they put them all together because they're like we're going to destroy this probe, we're going to capture this probe or whatever, and and they all it's a they really send great they send scene. all their ships because everybody wants to be a half, a piece of the glory of destroying the yeah. probe, so they don't like send destroying one the probe. they don't want to send one ship they send all two thousand ships, and um and this probe ends up just being made out of some impossible physical like it's the strong force of a nucleus so it's made up of this matter that is completely impervious to anything it's like if we had maybe unlocked more about physics we could build shit like this but because they blocked our science all we have is like stupid lasers and missiles and rail guns and essentially this probe just flies even though humanity is all cocky we send our whole fleet out there and this probe just flies in a straight line through all of the ships it just crashes into all the ships the probe is indestructible all the ships die blow up and humanity goes from like being hyper cocky to like, oh shit. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, there's a great quickly. there's a great scene where like they're like going into the city afterwards, and there's just like a massive hundreds of thousands of people, large orgy happening. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> they the author does a great job of like just like painting like the wild swings in like people like you know cultural like. Uh, behavior from like hyper arrogance and like naivete to just like hyper like they're just like okay and now we're gonna <laughs> everything's destroyed and then there's just massive orgy chaos like yeah, yeah. Um, that's the end of the world yeah. and there's like the only other thing i'll say from the dark force before we get to like the culmination of this wall facer figuring out the solution is there's this other random character who's like in the chinese military and he believes very strongly on the surface that like it's a really nice parallel to the wall facer he is like the most confident like person in the military that like we're going to figure out the right technology and we are going to beat them and there's this big like you know propaganda war within the war within humanity of like we have to stamp out defeatism we've 400 years we have to try we have to do whatever we can to fight off this this invasion force. And so this guy is like the all-in, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. They actually freeze him, wake him up much later to help fight defeatism in the future. He wakes up during this super arrogant era. They give him a ship, and 
right during the probe, right before the probe thing happens, he's just like, oh yeah, by the way, I've actually been a defeatist the whole time. And he just takes his ship and just flies out of the solar system. He just like, I'm, I'm out. I don't think we're going to beat them. I think we're, got, we're done. And, and humanity and, sends a few ships after and we, he, him. But, and he never, yeah. he never thought we were going to beat them. He sort of knew from the beginning. He never thought it. Was, it. He was actually a defeatist the whole time. He was the ultimate defeatist. And they, called, they actually called it, everything they call it es- escapism. And so the, his actual plan escapism, was, to, yeah. was, to, uh, was to basically escape the solar system and escape the Trisolarians and like preserve humanity by escaping rather than by defeating. So he's like, his idea is like, okay, we're just going to take a couple of these spaceships and go out into deep space and escape. And that's how civilization Figure it out. <laughs> Um, yeah. So let's just set up the dark, the dark forest, which is, you know, what gives the book its title, and I think is crucial. Um, here's the here is the setup. Here, I'm just going to read it out loud. I think it's interesting. So, cosmic sociology is the is the title of this. Suppose a vast number of civilizations are distributed throughout the universe on the order of the number of detectable stars. So, like billions and billions, right? Um, those civilizations make up the body of a cosmic society. So cosmic sociology is the study of the nature of this super society. So the question is, can you like build up any sort of theoretical concept for how people in this, how civilizations in this cosmic sociology will conduct themselves? You know, and you need some basic axioms for that. And in that you know, way, way early on conversation, he gets two axioms. One, survival is the primary need of civilization. And two, civilization continuously grows and expands, but the total matter in the universe remains constant. So that's it. Those are the two axioms. You know, civilization wants to survive and it wants to survive forever and there's a finite universe and there's tons of species out there. So if you take those two axioms, what, what type of sociology would you build for all species in the universe? And that's what this guy rev- slowly, like you know, he mean, slowly like unravels slowly understands and it yeah. becomes a weapon. So I, you know, I guess, you know, the basically what it ends up, the dark forest is his sort of description of the sociological, like, facts of of the universe and um i don't know do you want to take a swing at describing yeah so he describes the dark forest as like a metaphor so he's described he he realizes the universe is actually like a dark forest and you are a hunter walking around with a bow and arrow silently and there are tons of other species out there that are trying that are also walking around and because every species is trying to grow and because there's only so many resources in the universe when you encounter another species there's this possibility right that you could it's kind of like game theory like there's this chance that you guys could collaborate right but there's also a chance that they could wipe you out and the other thing is if you are more powerful than that other species if you give that civilization enough time because of how technology advances, you could reach a point very quickly where that civilization is now much more sophisticated and powerful than you. 
if you just let them stay. So even if you think that uh, you want to be kind to another species that you come across, you don't know what their intentions are for you. And it's like a prisoner's dilemma. You, yeah, and you don't know what they think about your intentions. So because of that, there's this chain of suspicion that happens where even two kind species cannot know for certain that the other species will stay benevolent. And there's this risk of them growing more powerful. So therefore, the way all species operate, on, uh, the way all species act in the universe is if you encounter another species, you eliminate it. Yeah. That you are hunting in the dark forest, and if you come across anything in the dark forest, you need to stay silent, you need to stay invisible, and if you see something, you kill it. And that is the rule of the universe that all species that reach a certain level of sophistication grow to understand. And so this character, this sociologist who spends his whole day drinking and partying and just living his life with this girl, um, when humanity's hopes are f collapse, he essentially realizes this theory. And he tests it by like in some way, but he yeah he validates it by asking some astronomers to send a signal to a random star, and they do. And fifty years later, that star explodes, and so he realizes like oh shit like if I beam out well he so he essentially tells the trisolarians because remember they can monitor everything and everyone while they're approaching, and he knows they're definitely watching him. So he essentially has his hand on a button and he's like, guess what? While I was, you know, while we were um, having, a you know, you were watching me or whatever, he, he ended up like hiding a bunch of nukes around the asteroid field to blow up and uh, create this dust that she, that's, that uh, makes this, that passes around the sun and forms like Morse code or whatever. Yeah, Morse so code. essentially he's like, yeah, like if you guys invade, I will blow up the nukes and our sun will blink to everywhere in the universe. And it'll it will blink, blink uh, in, in, in Mor and it'll blink in Morse code that is that is our, the coordinates of our system, like a, a message that says yeah. like we are. At so I will I will beam out the coordinates of our system and of your system yep. essentially. And so if it, you guys invade, which means according to the dark forest theory, that as soon as you blast this out. Some, you know, of the millions and millions of civilizations that are out there, some civilization will see it, and of the millions and millions and millions of civilizations that do see it, one of them is going to pull the trigger and execute, execute the planet. Um, and that's that's when you get the scope of the book all of a sudden. Because at first it's like, yeah, Earth, climate change type of stuff, and like, okay, there's aliens, cool, and there's this three body problem that's kind of fun, and okay, the aliens are going to invade, but humanity has time to build. And so you watch humanity go through this, like, growing pains of trying to come up with, like, different strategies. Um, and then, at, you know, the, the culmination of the Dark Forest is just like, oh, shit, like, actually, it's not about the Trisolarans. The Trisolarans are pretty much, they're better, they're more sophisticated than humans, but there's species out there that are, like, way more powerful, yeah. presumably. And they're just... And the Trisolarans are, are just, like, just as, as soon as they terrified. learn, like... They're, so as soon as yeah, they're just as afraid. As, so, as soon as he like says this message aloud, he basically is like drunk, and he basically the other aspect is he has to build up the willpower, the sort of like um, the uh, yeah, I guess I'd say the willpower to even credibly threaten to pull this trigger, right? Because it means not only the end of the trisolarian solar system, but also our solar system. Because if we beam our coordinates. Um, so it's like a mutually assured destruction threat. And 
the Trisolarians hear this and immediately turn their ships around or away and they basically immediately respect because the, the, he's established like mutually assured destruction deterrence um, like we're both dead we're yeah, both if de- you attack us we're both dead yeah I will blast out our coordinates and everybody in the universe will hear us and see no we're here and both our systems will get destroyed um, and so, th- so uh, that threat yeah. saves humanity so humanity like is like it's hilarious because in this book the humanity goes from like uh when the Trisolarians first become a phenomenon, everybody's scared and they turn to the wall facer project and all of that. And then 100, 200, 100 years have passed and we have all these solar fleet. We have this fleet of starships that are super powerful that we think are super powerful. And we've, we've established we're now we're super arrogant and we send them out to this probe. They all get destroyed. Humanity then becomes like <laughs> immediately <laughs> like, like end of the world, apocalyptic, like, nothing matters massive orgies chaos <laughs> and then he saves and then this guy out of that chaos saves earth with this mutually assured destruction within the dark forest of the universe and all of a sudden humanity's back back in it we're, we're, we're back we, baby. We, we, we're saved and uh um that's sort of like one of the backgrounds of this book i feel like in particular this one is like you've got the story of this character uncovering this sort of like realization about the nature of the universe that it's in fact not just us it's not just us and trisolaris it's us and millions and millions infinitely basically infinite civilizations and it is a terrifying survival of like the the most effective hunters uh, um and yeah and, uh, and I feel like so we've like I'm just looking we're like we've like gone for like 40 minutes we haven't hit book three so I'm just gonna rip through book three real quick conceptually and then let's talk about like some of the themes okay. and stuff because I think like yeah book three also so is, I, I mean you know it, yeah go ahead rip it well yeah I think you can correct me on stuff that I get wrong but book three is essentially like um, you know I guess you know, there's a new wall facer. Like the guy who was doing the mutually assured destruction eventually has to die. So he hands over the big red button to some other character. That other character ends up becoming like not strong enough to push the button, and they don't respect her. And eventually, the Trisolarians like as, do no, invade. As, so, like, as soon as the Trisolarians, as soon as the the trigger is hand, held handed over, the Trisolarians uh, launch probes at Earth, and. Yeah, as soon as, as soon as it happens, as soon yeah, as it as happens, as soon as they hands over the button, and yeah, and this, they were and, literally just waiting. And this woman has to pull the trigger in order to, you know, to you know, you know, they've called her bluff. Basically, they believed hit this other guy's bluff, but they called her bluff, and she t- couldn't pull the trigger. So she throws the trigger away. Uh, she yeah, know. so she can't she can't do it. So humanity essentially like the I think I'm just gonna wrap. I'm just gonna go really quick, but essentially. Um, Trisolans invade humanity kind of like uh, eventually attracts the attention of, a, of a, a larger species of a big species and that species ends up like launching um, some like multi-dimensional uh, like and humanity realizes like okay we have to they like essentially hide by like Jupiter and stuff and like all these cool like space cities and space planets and stuff and some crazy multi-dimensional powerful species launches something that ends up destroying the solar system including all of humanity and turning it into a two-dimensional 
uh, solar system, and you learn through the third book that like the universe used to be like eleven dimensions, and through this dark forest type battles, multi eleven dimensional beings would figure out how to survive at ten dimensions, and then flatten the 11th dimensions to 10 killing everyone who was 11 dimension and that process has continued until you get to your our current universe and so these wars are ongoing and eventually the book wraps up toward with like the the human that one guy who like took off early in book two ends up being the human one of the only groups of humans who survives there's this other character i think it's that girl who who throws the button away she ends up surviving on this other planet she escapes the solar system and like kind of hides out uh i think they the, the trisolarans kind of like end up partnering i guess with them a little bit so, they, so she ends up hiding in like a, a pocket universe essentially it's like it gets very trippy very physics-y and essentially the book kind of culminates in like um all species kind of collapse the universe down until it's eventually at like one dimension and there are like the trisolarans made it to the end, humanity made it to the end. Um, but essentially, every, all the species realize that in order for they need to actually collapse the universe to like zero dimensions and start a new universe all over. And in order to do that, everyone has to leave their little pocket universes, return all the matter to the universe. So everyone kind of there's this little capsule of like memories of like all of humanity, all of trisolaris, like everything the history of like all of us of our species that makes it into the new universe but then everyone else dies and the universe kind of like starts over big bang brand new brand new universe and there's some little time capsule essentially of like all of our species and so the book kind of ends in this big sweeping thing that's like you're way past caring about characters you're way past caring about any even even any individual species it's like the universe itself has to like restart and so even the cosmic sociology of the dark forest the like you know um, species trying to kill each other uh, and take advantage of everything while there's while they're still and grow exponentially while there's time none of that even matters because eventually the universe reaches its final you know kind of like state Terminal. and it needs to be restarted Terminal and everyone state, yeah. needs to go yeah yeah. And it needs to reboot. You need to reboot the universe. So we need to have another Big Bang. So you have this like kind of almost like Hindu, like creation and destruction at the end. Um, and so that's like, again, three, three body problem. You get three books that explode in scope. But uh, I wanted to hit the last one really quickly because there's so many cool themes in here. So I wanted to like throw it to you. I don't know what theme, what like part of this series, what like size or scale or, or like plot device or dynamic did you think was like the most interesting i think um man there's so much here but so let's just go back to the, what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast where i was like there's this uh, two there's two versions of humanity um there's the version of humanity that stays within the solar system and there's the version of humanity that escapes on those two ships that escape in the, in the second book uh, there's a couple starships that escape and uh, they escape the Trisolarians and they go out into deep space and they're the escapists um, and uh, we've, we've, we've glossed over this aspect of that fa- of that part of the book but those ships that escaped um, there was originally two ships 
that escaped. Um, or, or maybe four ships that escaped. Or there was, I think it was one ship escapes and three were catch it, trying to catch him. There's, and then there's two different groups four. of ships. Yeah, there's two groups of ships. Yeah. One, one group has two, one group has four. Both groups, as they uh, go out into deep space, there's these little like groups of ships, they uh, undergo this psychological like separation from Earth and realize that they're out here on our own forever, for all of time. It's just us. And both groups of ships um, basically go through like a micro version of the cosmic sociology we just described. And they like they go through the chains of suspicion and come to the realization that the, the only only thing we can do in this moment is to destroy the other ships so that we can take the systems from those ships, the parts, the materials, the food from those ships. And that's the only way that any humans will survive is if one ship takes the materials from the other ship for those for their people and both groups of ships go through this like chain of escalation and like execute an attack on the other ships right away as the other ships are doing it and are about to pull the trigger and uh, initiate the attack on the other one um and there's just this crazy this this plays out and on earth earth is watching this happen from a distance and earth is horrified by this like moral transgression um but the people out in space that rather than trying for all four ships realizing instead of all four ships trying to work together to to keep humanity alive they all realize like no odds of humanity staying alive increase if we just have one ship with four ships worth of equipment yes exactly so so fuck everyone else so the people on earth basically like um they basically uh they they cut themselves off from these ships and they say these are no longer humans these are like we we they banished them from the species they're 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 no longer humans they're something different because that is the most inhumane thing of all is to like you know and um whereas the, the so there's like so these these like space bound version of civilization is like this like other alter humanity and the solar system bound version of humanity is like represented by um, this woman who's unable to pull the trigger on the mutually assured destruction and then again who's unwilling to like use light speed to escape the solar system and instead just choose to hide behind Jupiter in their space stations you know that's like this like soft civilization versus the hard civilization hard version of humanity that is like I should have known you'd love this shit yeah and so it's it is really you get into the soft versus hard species and and in the end like the hard species is the one that survives longest now they both all you know time erases all 183 million years down the road everybody meets the end of the solar system right or however many billions of years down the road the solar system I mean the, the universe collapses on itself and everybody meets its end but the earthbound, the solar system-bound humanity uh, is extinguished fairly, fairly early on. You know, a couple hundred, you know, within the scope of a couple hundred years. Whereas the human, the space-bound, a-human, anti-human, uh, they, the book uses the term, the phrase "nega," N-E-G-A. I had to look up what that prefix means. Nega civilization. Uh, uh, that they survive for millions and millions and millions and millions of years to the end of the universe. And so this sort of like 
uh, this book. That I think this. I'd be curious what you think about that. And then I guess we. I'd go to like. The, yeah, the I mean, I think the, I think it's a the, cool. Yeah, it's a it's a cool like uh, it's a state of nature type of argument. You know, it reminds me of like <clears throat> if you ever are ever like, um, yeah, if you're just like in the jungle, like or in a, in a dark forest, let's say, you know, and you watch animals, like animals understand this, right? Like animals understand like the chain of suspicion. No, <laughs> The chain of suspicion. There's no like, oh, let me see if this is like a cool wolf, though. Because wouldn't it be like sweet if this wolf and I became friends? We could actually collaborate really well together. It's like, no, run or kill that wolf. That's what every other species is thinking. That's what you have for options, yeah. Yeah, and so, and then it kind of vibes with like this, um, some of the stuff we would talk about in the geopolitical world of like how nations interact too. Like, you know, you can't be as I used to desire, you know, this kind of like kumbaya, let's all hold hands and, you know, we'll all flourish together. And yeah, I think we all would like that. But what happens is you get, you know, you get a Putin that comes along and says, yeah, what if I do this, for instance? Yeah. What if I invade Ukraine? Or you get like a, you do have people who can then take advantage of that softness. And so I think it's kind of like, it's a pretty dark and I think sad it's um, definitely tragic because it's truth. like the the human civilization that gets extinguished fair, fairly early on, only after a couple hundred years, is the one where all of our characters live and all of our favorite characters live there. You know, they've developed all these various yeah, characters. Yeah, and they're all gone. They're and all they're, wiped and out they're, because they, they and tried to hold hands. Yeah, and they're, you know, and they, but they just, you know, time after time after time, human, that version of humanity was not able to make the hard, the really terrible decision. Um, and this... And and we we as the reader, I'm speaking for myself, but I think in general we as the reader agree with them. Like each time this moral dilemma comes forward, we like tend to um, side with this sort of like you know the, the the moral humanitarianism of of this sort of solar system bound humanity. I'm thinking in particular of like the horror, the moral horror they display at the you know the attacks that as the ships attack each other and like kill each other and t- you know take the supplies for themselves and it's just um but yeah i mean it's like take it to the extreme would you like would you like want to wipe out all every single uh person in the united states and like just kill let's let's say would you kill six billion people to uh let yeah like it's like it's 10, like thousand it's live, like brute it's like know, brute to, to, to continue so what's crazy yeah. though is that like so the in the end, th- that civilization lasts longer. The space-bound civilization lasts longer. But then again, the space-bound civilization saves Earth, a se- you know, prematurely. I mean, saves Earth, saves Earth temporarily because when Trisolaris invades, they hit. Earth doesn't have the balls, the cojones, to hit the mutually assured destruction button. But the space-bound civilization sees it happening, and they hit the mutually assured destruction button from their spaceship that's right that's why it happens yeah and so that gives earth the solar solar system based humanity another couple hundred years to 
um, survive and develop their technology. And that's when Earth develops the, the space stations, and they all go hide behind Jupiter. Okay, yeah, I forgot about that detail. Because that they think that they think the attack is going to come in the form of a missile to the sun, and they're like, oh, we'll just hide behind Jupiter, we'll be safe. But they, the attack ends up coming in, for, in terms of this two-dimensional thing. <laughs> yeah, um, flattens the whole universe. Yeah, or flattens the whole solar system. Or the whole solar yeah. system. So, yeah, so I think that's... So, oh, go ahead. So, so, so here's the thing. This goes to a broader question, which is like, when you first start reading this, you're like, ooh, like, oncoming doom by the by aliens. The allegory, the allegory there is climate change, right? Um, and then you get into, like, the second book, which is Dark Forest, and, like, to me, that's, like, allegorical to, like, the problem of civilization on Earth itself, not just... It's, it's, I don't think this just applies to cosmolo- you know, the cosmolo- cosmological sense. I think it applies in sort of this like realpolitik sense of uh, competition among civilizations on Earth. Um, so there's like various levels of allegorical analysis that you can play out here. Um, I'm curious what you think about that. No, I think that's really well said. Yeah, the first book is like, I think that the climate change analogy is like, perfect because again they start the first chapter is called silent spring and it's about the ecological collapse and a lot of the humans are actually motivated to like hand over earth because of how humans have treated the planet and, and they and, want to and themselves to the and earth. each other they're like and themselves we're like, we just are yeah. like fallen civilization we cannot yeah we, we suck as a species and so that's kind of like an interesting take on like you know take trisolaris out look at climate change you know, look at all the people right now who are just like kind of apathetic about where things are going because of like how awful like we treat the planet and the ecosystem and the, all the things. We have plenty. We don't need an alien race to wipe us out. We're doing it ourselves on this planet. So then, yeah, I totally agree with your second your, your second point on the the next book is like how nations interact or how you know individuals interact. This sort of like state of nature and like you know how civilizations should handle and like deal with each other with the chain of suspicion dark forest stuff yeah the third book is existentialism to yeah. me like that's the that's why i really loved this ultimate, series ultimate because end. It, yeah the ultimate end is like you know what whether there's a million species out there and you have to hide from them and or kill them and do the state of nature shit whether or whether we are alone in the universe everything ends right like the universe ends Time, the universe yeah, time conquers all. Like you know, it's like I think they have time to. conquers all. So it's like, so at the end of the day, what is, what is the point of like <laughs> this? This goes to like Camus, you know, like what is the point of doing anything of like fighting the dark force? What is the point? Like, so in a way, it kind of revises the dark force because you have that wall facer, right? Remember, he spent the first thirty years enjoying his life. Right, like appreciating good art, appreciating nature, falling in love, listening to music, eating delicious food, and and like, and, and honestly, what 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 the, the 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 lesson there is that the only reason he was inevitably in the end able to like come up with his theory of the dark of the dark forest and and therefore establish deterrence fear uh, was via the motivation of having something to save, which was. This, yeah. this woman and his child. Prior right. to that, he, right. he was just a hedonistic, apathetic punk. Uh, he didn't yeah. care about anything. He didn't care about the world. He didn't really care about the aliens coming. Couldn't be bothered. Just wanted to live out life in luxury. Um, so, so I think it's like I think it's like those two 
forces counterbalance. I don't think he's like that's the best part about reading a book like this, right? Like the author's not telling you. It's not. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, there's maybe some propaganda or some you know ideologies this guy might believe, but I don't get the feeling that he's really telling you the right way to structure society or the right way to live your life. He's showing you a lot of these contradictions. Like the fact is, like you have to be like cold, calculating, like you know, out for yourself, looking out, like assume everyone is going to kill you and like really look out for, like that's the state of nature. So if you want to survive and like thrive in that world, you have to become that type of like cold blooded, like rational, um, you know, actor. But at the end of the day, if you do that and if everyone does that, or even if it's just you doing that in the universe and you or your species is able to propagate to the very end, the universe gets wiped out anyway. Like, congrats, humans made it to the end of the universe, but now the universe is over and we're going to start a new universe. So whether you went out in, you know, with like holding hands and, you know, in love and eating, you know, not, you know, if you leaned into that more humanitarian kumbaya stuff, yeah, you guess what? Your civilization, your species, your family, you might get wiped out sooner, like millions of years sooner. But like, um, have you? Pre- like, but at the end of the day, like everyone's getting wiped out. Yeah. So wouldn't you rather, while you're alive, enjoy your life, enjoy and live for the things worth living for? And I think that's the tension in this book: is that it's not like there is a right way to construct a society. It's like here's kind of the conflict between the two um, ways of life. You know? Yeah. No. Totally. And I think I, I mean, there's a this reappears constantly this like these choices that people are making um after all of humanity has left earth and is hiding in space stations behind jupiter for a couple hundred years awaiting this this strike that's going to blow up their solar system um some humans have stayed behind and they've said frigate we know we know earth is going to get destroyed when this strike happens but we're not going to go live up in those space stations we're going to stay on earth and they live like kings because there's like 10,000 people left on earth and they 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 have you know and earth has like reblossomed in all of its natural glory and they ha- they they live out the rest of their life and their children's lives and their children's children's lives in like this sort of like edenic paradise right and so there's like whole generations of families yeah right and so like there's like this like micro micro paradise or yeah micro civilization that meets its end way way early but chooses like this you know this moment of beauty at the very uh, the other direction another example of this is at the very very end of the book you uh it's sort of like this is details that i, I it's fresh in my mind but uh the final character her and her partner are uh she and her partner are in this little like safe bubble it's like a, a micro universe and the only way the universe can, the whole universe can reboot is if everybody leaves their micro bubbles and brings the matter from the micro bubbles into the main universe so that the main universe has enough mass so that it can collapse and explode again into a new great, a big bang. So what has to happen, either the, the entire universe goes to eternal death or everybody leaves their micro universes and brings the matter back. It's sort of like a, it's sort of like a, uh, uh, a tragedy of the commons type situation where like yeah, if, yeah. so you have to they're, they're sitting there thinking okay well like 
how do we know that everybody else in their micro universes are going to do this right like what if we're the ones who like we die in the big bang and we because because we close down our micro universe but in doing so we like allow the possibility of the universe to re reboot but some other people don't and they actually survive and get to pro get to propagate um and it's beautiful because in the end they choose to they like we live long enough humanities live long enough uh their like moral duty to be a good person this this woman's duty to be the same woman who couldn't press the button on the mutually assured destruction and at various other places couldn't take make the hard decision because of her moral code in the end like chooses to not survive the the great reboot and instead and but but to allow the great reboot reboot to go forward by like giving her own life you know by by anything. and not just her but every other species does make the same choice so well, even no, though everyone no, no, operates no, no. on this no you don't you don't know if it that i don't i don't think so i think you don't i think the book ends with them making that decision oh so you don't know if a new universe starts i thought you because we because it's this it's like this prisoner dilemma again it's like this prisoner dilemma thing where like she they know that there's a lot there's lots of these micro universes lots of species have these hiding spots humanity trisolaris perhaps tens of thousands of other species and if everybody goes back then the universe will reboot and a few might not go back and be able to be able to survive but if nobody goes back the universe will die forever <laughs> you know it's like classic just like it's just like but I think everyone needs to go back. So eventually, like, no, even if one person no, stays, no, no, right? No, no, it's like if one person, if a couple people stay, they'll survive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a few can survive. There's like enough that you just, they, the universe just needs enough matter that it hits a critical mass where it'll like, it won't expand in, for infinity. It'll co collapse on itself and explode in new Big Bang. I don't know. Yet the physics are beyond me. I'm not a scientist, but they... Well, I don't, I mean, I think at they, this point in the book, the physics are like wildly you know, speculative whatever but like the point is like if they the way the physics are set up are like to create this moral dilemma it's like a sort of like like okay you it's like a, it's a reverse it's a prisoner dilemma right where like if everybody makes the right choice everybody will die but the universe will get rebooted and new civilizations can propagate forward if nobody does it then Everybody will survive in their little micro universes, which are tiny, like basically like little bubbles. But the great universe will expand, will will die out, and those micro universes will eventually die out as well. So, the only way is for everybody to do it, or no, or, or nobody to do it. But if if like seventy five percent of people do it, then the twenty five percent of people that don't do it will survive, and the seventy five percent of people <laughs> will have just sacrificed themselves on behalf of these twenty five percent. You know, so it's like classic moral dilemma. Like even at the end of the universe, there's this moral dilemma of like, why should you care about moral code and duty and all these things when it's all meaningless anyways? And um, of course, humanity, as represented by this character, um, yeah, makes, I mean, you I, know, sticks I, sticks to sticks to her guns, you know, and sticks to her moral code. Yeah, I think it's. Um, it's a beautiful series, man. I really loved it. I love the I love the whole concept. I think you know one of the I think we're probably won't talk about it on this episode, but uh, at least in any detail, um, 
But this is one of those series that stuck with me, and the Dark Forest for sure. I love the Dark Forest analogy. I, I think I about it all the time. I do. I mean, um, especially you know, and like I've always had this thought of like, oh, okay, so what happens if you create like the por- perfect utopic, like, anarcho sin, like communist, like commune where everybody lives in harmony and it's like small scale communal and we're all just living in touch with nature and it's like edenic you know it's like eden recreated on earth and it's and all of the united states just like somehow peacefully converts to this utopia right and we don't have military spending and all that stuff because we're living in paradise um someone would just come and take it right like you know someone else would just say oh we need like we'll come take that um which 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 to me always that's the it's like you sorry i was just gonna say you you I don't know if you... I forget whether you never finished The Island, right? No. By Huxley. No. Okay. So that's something... We might want to do that book, but I'm just going to bring it up now. Uh, we should do that book at some point, but Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World, which is one of the best dystopian novels ever written, mm-hmm. wrote a utopian novel called The Island. And um, Anya and I both read it. Uh, you had bought it when you were with us. Uh, you were reading it while you were with us, but I guess you put it down. But in, in the utopia, it's exactly what you described. There is like this, it's a island, it's a literal island nation um, in like the 20th century that's able to create this society that is perfect. And the whole book is exploring, it's like some English sailor, you know, winds up on this island and he, like from like 20th century England. And it's just him learning about how broken he is as a person and how broken the rest of the world is because in this place they figured everything out they figured out how to like live coexist like eat well live well spiritually very healthy um they have like tons of birth control and they keep their population really stable there's no new emphasis on like technological evolution they've got a stable thing and they've, they've got like massive oil reserves that they don't use they prefer to walk or like ride bikes and stuff and like uh, then use cars. They're not looking to modernize. And there's like some disgruntled person uh, in the book uh, who's like in leadership or something or like connected politically who has been to the outside world and is like really into cars and really into like dumb like TV. And like, it was like they've got so much cool technology and shit out there. And like eventually that's how it ends. Yeah, he ends up like conquering with the help of like some other nation and ruining the utopia which sucks but it is like a really powerful book in and of itself because just going back to this like i you know for me i look at this and and you know you sent me this company that's the other idea that i just i want to get out it's like you know i work in tech right now and like not in like deep silicon valley but like you know, if you look at all these emerging technology, you look at like humanity and like what were we doing in the face of all of this ecological collapse, in the face of like, you know, wars and inflation and like whatever, famines and all this stuff, we're trying to invent our way out of this. We're trying to like go like, you know, invest in all this new tech and just like grow, grow exponentially, keep the growth going, keep not just the economic growth, but like, we can just solve this problem. We can keep ourselves going long enough. We just have to keep inventing newer and newer and newer things. And eventually you get like an Elon Musk is like, we got to get to Mars, obviously, because the earth is going to run out of stuff. 
Like even if we take care of the environment, we'll That's lose the Earth. We got to leave Mars. We got to be. We got to leave the solar system. Literally, got to leave the, the escapism from body problem it's like that's yeah it's the escapism or like you know and maybe society does take that way but i i would want to push back i want to go i want to create the island from huxley and i think like or at least i want to live on it's the name of the island is like power and i want to create a power in my own life not for society i'm not going to try to you know fight some secede or anything but in my own life i think like what is all this growth for what is all this escapism for what is all this technology for what you know i would rather like live in a place like peacefully and harmoniously as best i can while i'm here you know and try to be that naive humanitarian who treats people kindly and tries to trust people and that they have good intentions and be collaborative instead of competitive. And, um, you know, that might not be good at a societal level, but I think on an individual level, it's really, um, I don't know, important. (laughs) I think like you're, I think from a quality of life perspective, because, and the reason I, I would ground that in the cosmic by looking at the end of this series, right? At the end of the day, the universe is gonna collapse anyway. Like all this stuff's gonna go away. So I don't really care about the human project of trying to be the strongest, fastest, best, most technologically advanced, you know, space-bound civilization. I would rather the people who are alive live happily and harmoniously and, you know, in a world of like love and compassion and empathy and, you know, happiness. And that might not be accessible. And sometimes, you know, we might be too soft and we might get our asses kicked by another species or by some mean neighbor. But I think in life, like, it's better to be the person who gets their ass kicked than to be the the evil fucking neighbor who's just taking everyone, everything from everyone. And well, that's the constant. They die, too. That's the constant dilemma is like. I mean, that's what this book. I mean, these this series continuously harps on this on this sort of like knife's edge of like accepting your fate and living peacefully with it and creating beauty in the face of it versus doing good work to counter it your best work to counter it um, fighting against the dying of the light fighting against the dying of light and then like when does that go too far right like it's because at some point it you have to make like a really awful decision you know there's the character wade i forget if you recall the character the wade right who's like this like just obsessed advanced at all costs he is single-mindedly obsessed with preserving humanity and is like has no moral um no moral code higher than the advancement of civilization and so he's always willing to make the hard like the hard decision like um, to he actually shoots the woman protagonist from the Death's End who was unable to pull the mutually assured destructor button before she takes on that role to become the next uh, sword holder is what they call the, that those people who hold the button to try to deter uh, Trisolaris before she becomes the next one he shoots her to kill her because he knows she's going to get elected to become to take this position and he knows that she won't be able to do it and he wants to be that person so because he he knows he'll pull that button no problem 
and he knows. Yeah, he's getting that, no and, the, and the Trisolarians know that he knows that they know. You know, so it's like he knows that if he's the person who holds the sword, deterrence will be maintained because he's like psychotically, single-mindedly, and so to the point where he's willing to shoot this woman who actually he has a great relationship with and he's very fond of because he's like so. So like this is this character who's like single-mindedly, and actually, if he had. If he had shot her and killed her, humanity would have been saved. You know, he we would you know there were would blah 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 blah. Humanity would have been saved, but like to your point, to what end? Right. Time, time, time wins in the end, no matter what. So why are we saving humanity? To what end? And is he a like this is where just in your own life? So, do you want to be him? So this is this is this is the another aspect of this book which is like it's this is the first i think this is the first book by a chinese author i've ever written i mean read which i think is a little yeah. it's a little embarrassing and sad but it's pr- i think it's probably true one of the reasons yeah, i lo- one of the reasons i love this series is just like subtly you get like so much chinese culture when like you know you know it's like very subtle and not in your face but like it's great just reading from a not out of like western european context um uh so i really like it for that aspect but also i think this is where maybe some of that that chinese background comes into play where like one of the answers to this dilemma is like the the state of your eternal soul right you know like yeah you know like one of the reasons why you someone might not make those hard decisions is because like I don't really care what happens in this life. The, the the state of my eternal soul is what matters. Like as long as I maintain my the more, my more, my morality, what happens to me on this this like physical realm is irrelevant. Um, that's like the power of like sort of like a you know that or I mean that's like the sort of the Christian sort of take on it. But I think in general like the the uh, that sort of like monotheistic sense of of the soul. Uh, is a solution to this problem in a, in a way, a way to like sort of enforce uh, a way to like sort of devalue uh, the ultimate to devalue like kind of physical ends, right? Like who cares about civilization? It's like all that matters is how you conduct yourself here, now, in the present. Um, how do you? What do you do to preserve your soul in this in the present life? So that's like, but we don't. You don't hear a snippet of that in this book, right? There's not. A, there's right. not. A, there's, that is not offered up once in this. In this. There's series. no individualism in there's, the book. It's like there's no individualism. There are people there's, and there's very little like ideology. I mean, there's some like there's ideology, but it's not. It's not ideological. It's more like I have different logical results. Like I have slightly different premises than you. Like the escapist isn't an ideological thing. It's just like we've so, we've sifted through the logic of su- solving for human survival differently. It's like we're just like right. you know. It's like it's like, and uh, so that pl- it kind of looks like ideology, but it's not really like politics in like the Western sense. It's not really like the sort of like the way I feel my perception. <laughs> I don't know. It just it feels utterly devoid of that. It's like all. It's very like materialistic, I guess I would say. It's very materialistic because yeah. he's a physicist from China. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, and like all the cl- yeah. like you know one of the one of the themes is that like the character a lot of these characters like live for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and then eventually one character lives for millions and millions and hundreds of millions of years because of light speed and also because they can hibernate and come back to life a hundred years later, 
and so you see like human civilization evolve and the cultures evolve and they get hard and they get soft and and then they get hard again and uh um and but the reasons for that are not because of like art or because of like people making decisions it's like or po- political or movements. political it's movements like, it's all like yeah. necessarily determined by like the facts at hand you know the culture was like this because in direct response you know it was like they're like causally determined very like yeah, again like very you know screams like screams like sort of like marxist ideas of history how how history like necessarily unfolds as this sort of like dialectical process um right i guess that's maybe not just purely marxist but um yeah yeah again devoid of like sort of like individualistic uh senses of like you don't leave the, the book asking like or the book doesn't really um, the series doesn't really encourage you to wonder what it feels like to be a per- one of those people. No, as no. much as it, it's really much more um, rather than being character driven. It's just yeah, it's idea driven and and like um, um, yeah, yeah, and and kind of like which is I I I, I you you said like this series is like help like kind of you've like it stayed with you and I I find myself really sort of uh, emboldened by that style of thinking through problems of like let's start at premises and let them play out as they will Um, uh, let's let's which obviously is like okay yeah so thinking logically everybody does that sure but I think there's something about the way the characters just like and the and the peoples and the civilizations and the politics of the, the, the leaders of these uh, iterations of human civilizations just like work through and solve problems through like logical deduction that is very uh, refreshing and which I don't think I've really read kind of come across before in a book yeah maybe you know, I, I think it's maybe it, yeah the yeah. only place I've come across it is like this will be really strange <laughs> I think comparison it kind of reminds me a little of like game of thrones um oh, early like the sheer game ca- of thrones sheer calculating nature yeah because everyone's just like calculating and conniving and like plotting and trying to achieve some end and their ends are all different but they're um it's purely like you know uh, yeah, it's all just like hyper. Well, I guess I, I, I guess that's the good a good example of like it's not so much that the it's this what distinguishes this book is not so much the use of like logic. It's the use of logic devoid from like personal ends. Like nobody's like trying to advance themselves. There's not a single right, character. That's true. Yeah, that's there's a not a single character in this book who's trying to advance their family or their their race or their ideology it's like every single character just exists as a kind of representative of humanity almost yeah everyone's trying to do their best for the species and they have it's a very yeah yeah and they come to different conclusions and they and you know you know there's like this one scene where someone gets accused of being an escapist and he's a pie he's a he's someone in the navy and he's like 
and if he's an escapist, then he'll get discharged from the Navy because they don't want escapists um, in the Navy. They don't, they don't want that sense of defeatism in the Navy. And he just says, "It's true. I'm. I am. I'm. I feel defeatist. I. I don't think we can do this. I'm no longer fit to serve." You know, Pro <laughs> yeah, proceed yeah. as you <laughs> will. And he just like takes yeah. it on takes it on the chin and like admits that that's his fate. You know, like yes, I, this is what I think. I agree that this is invalid, but this is what I think. Therefore, I will remove myself from the situation. You know, it's like, <laughs> like that's just to me. That's I mean, this is why I guess I appreciate the the Chinese, you know, writing and the, the author coming from China and just like having a book and reading something coming out of that culture because it's just like so foreign to to me as far as like most of what I read is like Anglophone. Maybe Western yeah, European, it's really refreshing. Russian, it's a really you know. refreshing cultural context. It's a really refreshing ideological baseline. Um, it's the whole thing is just. I think I can't recommend this series enough. No, I think my brother's about to start reading it. I got my brother's reading it too, so it's it's the move for sure. Yeah. It's it's and it's it's a blast. I mean, it's just so much fun to read too. Oh, I've wrecked it also in like two weeks, and I I would literally every chapter because you know some of these chapters are. Like when the probe comes and it destroys all the ships yeah. and you're just like, oh shit. Um, or like when someone wakes up and, you know, 200 years later and they learn that society's gone from like hard to soft to hard to soft or, or, or whatever. whatever. And, yeah. um, like every 30 pages of this book, you're hit with like so many crazy big ideas and they just stack. And they stack on top of each other in a really harmonious way. I think yeah. it builds this wonderful tapestry. And, and like the and, dark forest, and the the end of the universe, and the silent spring, and like the well, physics we, of it all. And so I would spend when I was reading it, I would be like thirty pages, and then I would put it down. I'd be like Anya, and I would just talk at her and summarize, give her spark notes of the last thirty pages I read, and then I would go back to reading, and then I would tell her again. So she already knows the full plot of the series because I could not contain myself. I had to like get these ideas out. Like this is so awesome. I was like edge of my seat the whole time, like loving these ideas, loving these like the, the tension that's building and the scale and the scope of the book just keeps expanding and you're like, you can't go bigger, can you? Oh, cool. Million years in the future. All right, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. And yeah, to your like every idea cascades, and every little there's all these like these there's all this stuff that I mean obviously every book has that to some effect, but the way um, humanity progresses, both civil technologically, both to physics, both culturally, both sort of uh, ideologically, uh, the the their relationship to there's a one point where the the book summarizes the uh, you know the summarizes the different ways trisolarians have been like viewed by humanity over the last 500 years at first they were evil and then they were saviors and then and then we looked upon them as martyrs and then we looked upon them with pity and then we hated them again and you know like and uh, you know but at the, when you're reading it every at the time we were looking back, we're like, oh my God, there was like this crazy up and down, up and down, this way, that way, this way. But at the, as you're in it, it progresses so naturally and uh, uh, that it it is, it's it's just extremely compelling and you get wrapped totally. up in the, in the sort of, the, the problem of solving for like humanity in this, in this sort of like existential place. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I would recommend, you know, I mean, that's probably a good place to wrap up. I yeah. guess uh, it's, I think everyone we, should read the series. Yeah. Everyone should get their mind expanded. And I would love to know, um, I want to like pull people. I want to know, like, yeah, like hard versus soft civilization. Yeah, are you did, trying to did you the trying to like party on Earth, knowing that the the end is near, and just try to like start a sustainable like farm, or are you trying to like there's you know, that go deep, go deep space, there and, act, like, yeah, kill your family, there's to a, keep the species going. Yeah, there's like so many more to. It's like it's like the trolley problem over and over and over again. Like <laughs> yeah. there's a there's a part where like the. They're all the people on this on the internationals on the on the intergalactic spaceship have to they're voting on this ship whether or not to hit the mutually assured destruction button for Earth because the Trisolarians have destroyed their their mutually Earth's mutually assured destruction button and they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna basically commit genocide and take over Earth and and just put all of humanity in Australia <laughs> and yeah. and the people on this spaceship. They've already left Earth. They're gone with Earth. They have nothing to do with Earth at this point. They're gazillions of light years away, but they can still broadcast a signal that that initiates mutually assured destruction. And so each crew member votes. Um, so the question to the audience is, what would you do? Yo, good good place to end. <laughs> good place to um, end. Yeah, what would you do? Uh, I think we'll, you know, we're... I think we, we hit this uh, pod with, I don't know what was our last lag. Was that like five months? <laughs> Dude, I didn't even release the last one. I didn't even finish it. So it, we'll probably that's much good. later. Yeah, it's okay. It's fine. That's a hidden, that's a secret episode about the machine. Only our, only our, only our, pa- only our Patreons get access to that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Patreon, Patreon subscribers get access to the secret machine uh, episode. Yeah. Um, this one, yeah, we're going to try to be more regular. I would like to be more regular. I enjoy talking to you. I think this is fun. And, yeah, we'll figure out something to talk about. Hopefully it won't take a month. Sounds good. <laughs>